0: This is an ABC podcast. Lock the doors. We would expect to see some rather concerning numbers for a while.
1: I will continue to stand up for these regions that I know and love. We know how important it is for the Parliament to meet. Isolation, testing.
0: Being bored is much better than being in intensive care.
1: Hello and welcome to the Party Room podcast. I'm Patricia Carvellis, the host of RN Drive.
2: And I'm Frank Kelly, the host of RM Breakfast. And PK Parliament is back, finally. There hasn't been enough of it this year, in my view. And soon we're going to be joined by Andrew Proben, who's in Parliament House in Canberra, to talk about everything that's been going on up in the Hill this week. But PK, you know, over the last few weeks, we've been noticing and talking about sort of slow deterioration in that bipartisanship between the federal government and some of the states, particularly Victoria. And in question time this week, I think the Prime Minister really zeroed in, was particularly harsh in his judgment of Victoria and the Victorian handling of this pandemic, in particular contact tracing and hotel quarantine.
0: Where those things have failed, as they have in Victoria, then we have seen significant community outbreak and the most extensive restrictions that any Australian has ever had to live in in this country, including during wartime, Mr Speaker. And that is of great regret. Our goal should be to reopen Australia again, Mr Speaker, to reopen Australia right across the country to live with this virus.
2: So as you can hear, PK, it was gloves off, really. The PM directly accusing the Victorian Government of a failure on contact tracing, a failure on quarantine. Now, some of that's self-evident, but the question is why did the Prime Minister go so hard this week in question time, PK? Was it about Victoria? He's just had enough, he's not going to pussyfoot foot around anymore, or was it a classic bait and switch attempt to shift because Labour had been piling on the pressure of the government over failures in aged care? You know, we've talked about this a lot. Aged care is a federal responsibility. There's plenty of evidence, I think, to show the federal government wasn't ahead of the curve when this comes to this pandemic and preparedness in our aged care sector. Why do you think the government really, and the Prime Minister in particular, really pointed the finger?
1: Based on many conversations, put a bit of research into this, Fran, there's two levels to this. One was absolutely bait and switch. So Labor made a decision, and I think a really smart decision this week, that it would use the parliamentary question time and its parliamentary presence uh, scaled down because of distancing and this remote parliament, but it would use its influence and its pressure entirely on the aged care issue. That it would uh, really put the blowtorch on on the Prime Minister and his minister, Richard Colbeck, on failures in aged care that have led to the outbreaks we've seen in Victoria, in aged care facilities and and really unacceptable levels of death, which I think are unacceptable. There's no doubt about it, right? We knew that this was coming. That's what Labor decided. And so instead of taking responsibility, the government made a key decision that it would blame, and it did that, Fran, there's no doubt about it if you listen to the the language used in the question time mm. and the answers, blame the Victorian state government for failures in quarantine and contact tracing. This is a really different approach, although I reckon in this podcast we've been picking it. We've been saying it's going in this direction, but this is really an acceleration of, of that strategy, and they've decided to blame the state government for the outbreak. Now, the truth is, column A, column B, of course the outbreak happened because of failures in quarantine. We know this from this inquiry. We know this. Of course it happened because contact tracing, I think, has been mismanaged. But equally, we know there's no doubt about it 100% that the federal government is responsible for aged care. So your strategy has to be about going, what happens in the event of a terrible stuff up? What happens in the event of a big outbreak? This is what we must do in aged care because we're responsible. So they've tried to go, not our fault. You know, it happened because of Victoria. You couldn't avoid it. Well, actually, your job is to try and avoid it when there's a big outbreak. That is your job. So that's that's the reason. That's what
2: planning is, right? You're planning for the worst outcome. Yeah. Even if it's not your fault.
1: Mm. Like, that's the point. You have to plan for even when it's not your fault. To then not have something happen worse under your watch—that's that's the federation. You're responsible for aged care, so I think it's been problematic for the for the federal government to try and avoid its responsibility in aged care. They are responsible for aged care. It's clearly all there in black and white in the documents. But there's another reason too. The Prime Minister up until now has been trying to keep his relationship with the Premier Daniel Andrews well looked after, if you like. They need to work in cooperation. He's made a decision that you need to work cooperatively, you can't be sort of bagging each other in the public sphere. But something switched, and I know the moment it happened, it's Josh Frydenberg, the most senior Victorian, who made a decision a couple of weeks ago to sort of go a little bit more nuclear on the Victorian government. And since then, there's been pressure from the Victorian wing at a state level, but state um, uh, federal MPs in the Liberal um, Party saying from Victoria saying, we we can't accept this. this is, we need to put pressure on Andrews. And now I reckon you've, you've seen a really big difference.
2: OK, because something else happened too this week. There was also a pile on in the federal parliament over that announcement from the Premier Dan Andrews that he would seek to extend the state of emergency legislation in Victoria for 12 months. You know, even Bill Shorten, who's, you know, Labor, uh, came out and said, you know, Victorians were freaked out about this. It raised a lot of political heat. Let me just ask you first, PK. You're a Victorian. Were you freaked out? Uh,
1: I wasn't freaked out, but I understand because this is the thing. Actually, Fran, uh, I'm a journalist and I'm across the detail, right? So I know it's about giving giving uh, you know, giving them the right to make these decisions over this period because we're in a very difficult situation with coronavirus. I know it doesn't mean it's 12-month lockdowns, but that doesn't matter. doesn't matter that I got it because mm. across the community people didn't get it. So yeah, that so is they the problem. So they heard that and
2: they thought, oh, we're going to get locked down for 12 months. That's how people heard it, didn't they? Which they, is not that at all.
1: No. Daniel Andrews did misfire on
2: this. But equally, uh, you know, it doesn't mean 12 months of lockdowns, Fran. It means that the Victorian government can impose social distancing laws. It can make sure businesses have what they call COVID safe business practice now. And you've got sanitizer and masks. It ma- can mean that, you know, the state government can say, if you're test positive, you have to stay indoors and self-isolate for two weeks. All important rules that the government and the police must have the power to put in place. Why do you think that the federal government went so heavy on it because, um, well, let me just let's play a little of the treasurer Josh Frydenberg. He's the senior Victorian, and he really led the attack over this.
0: Now I understand why Victorians are now very concerned by the Victorian government announcing yesterday that it wants to extend the emergency powers for another 12 months. I share those concerns, Mr. Yeah,
1: Speaker, and the Victorian government has to explain its decision. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> so what what are the political dimensions of this intervention? Let me tell you what I reckon. Josh Frydenberg is sending a signal to all of the Victorian Liberal Party that he will lead, he will go hard on Dan Andrews, that he won't play Kumbaya, right? And that, uh, that the federal government needs to take this approach too. And you'll notice that actually Morrison's language did, did harden up after this. And so I reckon things have shifted quite a lot since this. I reckon it really actually can create quite a few problems for the National Cabinet, for cohesion on this policy and working in this area in coming months. It does make it more hard, doesn't it, Fran?
2: Well, it does, but it's also—I mean, it's—it's impossible to know, I suppose, what the motivation of someone like Josh Frydenberg is. He's the treasurer; Uh, he's got the—you know—economic management of the nation in sight, and certainly, you know, the Victorian lockdown has really, really put a spanner in the works in terms of economic recovery. He's also the senior Victorian, and he's worried about his state. Um, But he's also the senior Victorian, and there's a political uh, equation here too, isn't there, in terms of you know the state state Liberals getting the edge on state Labor. I feel like something's switched where
1: the politics
2: is starting
1: to dominate more than just the policy. Now, the politics, in my view, has always been there. But I feel like the politics has taken a stronger role in the debate now and we are seeing very much uh, a political equation being made. Who are voters going to blame? And they've made a decision that it should be Daniel Andrews, that it should not be Scott Morrison and his government when it comes to aged care. They want people to join the dots in Victoria and go, if we've had all these uh, deaths in aged care, well, it's because Dan Andrews stuffed up originally. That's what they want people to think. But ultimately... It is the federal government under the rules that's responsible for aged care. And if they weren't prepared enough, they have to take responsibility. They cannot just go, it's the state government's fault. It just doesn't work like that. That's not political accountability and it's not acceptable.
2: Yeah, I think there's some failure to go around. But the rub for the Victorian government is that every other state, I'm pretty sure it's every other state, has a state of emergency powers there with no time limit on them. They're there, they're in place, they don't have to go back to their parliaments. Victoria's the only one that does. And the Prime Minister let it be known that he called Daniel Andrews and said, for heaven's sake, fix up this. People have been frightened. Fix up your messaging because what he said was that you're contradicting the message of hope that we'd managed to get to this week. You know, the numbers in Victoria were coming down. So just when things were getting a little hopeful, Daniel Andrews came out with this and the PM actually picked up the phone. So he tells us and said, fix it. Hey, Fran, should we bring in our guest?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Andrew Proben is the ABC's political editor and a friend of this podcast. Welcome back to the party room.
0: Thanks, guys. I really do think the decor today is absolutely swish in this joint. I love what you've done to the party room.
2: It's all that money they've
1: given to the ABC.
2: That's it. That's it. We've we've done something lovely with the place. But talking about uh, style, I particularly like that mask you're wearing, Andrew. You're there in Parliament House, and you need to wear a mask around the building. How's it been this week in the in in the corridors, but also in the Parliament? You know, there's big screens. It looks very different. How's it all been feeling and operating?
0: Yeah, it's it's a bit weird. I mean, the whole year's been weird, hasn't it? But uh, look, we're in a situation where the ACT doesn't actually mandate uh, masks, but because we have a whole swish of people coming from all around the country, um, including Victorians and New South Welshmen and, and the like, uh, there has been this strong encouragement to wear masks. So uh, yeah, you see them mostly around, you see them at press conferences now and... It means that sometimes when you're listening back to the audio, you don't really know who the, who's who been asking the questions. Is all... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, yeah. So uh, look it is it's just the it's just the new thing isn't it
1: well we have to adjust to the new normal and living with this virus which has been basically the central message now look just quickly probes let's talk strategy this is the first time in in ages we've had the daily you know question time and looking at what the political issues on the agenda are and the strategy of the opposition and it seems labor has been very much focused on aged care, that they've decided to go exclusively on this issue. How do you think that strategy has worked? Uh, look, I, I think this
0: is a very difficult subject for the federal government. They know that um, uh, what's happened is so awful and will continue to be awful for so much longer that they are going to cop a lot of the blame. The aged care was a vulnerable section, uh, sector, before the pandemic, and it's only exposed uh, the frailties of the system and the frailties of of the residents. And so we're going to have a lot more deaths. We're probably going to have hundreds more deaths, very sadly, in the aged care sector, and we all have to um, brace ourselves for that. But for, for the Labor Party and its squabble with the federal government. Well, the Labour Party sees aged care as um, the federal government's pink bats, the way that the pink bats was uh, levelled, that disaster levelled at um, the Labour government during the GFC, which saw four people die. Well, we've now got, uh, got numbers in the 300s, 400s in aged care. So this will continue, and it's not helped... It must be said by a a pretty poor performance all in all from the aged care minister, Um, although he is a junior minister and the responsibilities of his cabinet colleague, Greg Hunt, um, cannot be dismissed either because he's also under pressure for for that sector and, and what's going on within it.
1: Yeah, and that's right, that Labor's decided that the government is vulnerable on this issue. But we've seen, and Fran and I were talking about this at the beginning of the podcast, a really, you know, contentious strategy, I think, from the federal government where they've gone, Victoria's to blame. But Labor wants them to be held to account. They think come election time, and they are thinking about election, you know, they are actually... When you talk to them and you know these probes, they are thinking about what is going to be the story at the election. They want the federal government, the Morrison government, to be held to account. That's the strategy, isn't
0: it? That's right. And we could have an election uh, just twelve months from now. That's the, the soonest it can be is August uh, next year. And I think there is a very strong likelihood that the election will be in that uh, in the, in in about. 12 to 14 months. By then, if we do have a vaccine, of course, the the political story will be about economic recovery. But the lag from all of the disasters uh, and the disaster in Victoria that's happening right now in aged care will very much be on many people's minds. And it is something that... Uh, that the Labor, Labor Party will try and slay the federal government with. Now the federal yeah. government is muddying the waters to some degree um, when it talks about responsibility for the health response in, in aged in age care and the overlapping responsibilities doesn't help uh, anyone when you're trying to establish responsibility, r- responsibility for this problem.
2: That's true, though, but by the time we get to an election, when it comes, uh, aged care will have the Royal Commission. It'll have reported. It will still be an issue. And the government's. it's going to take billions and billions and billions more money for the government to address the problems. But, Andrew, in the midst of all of that discussion this week... Then the Prime Minister came out on Wednesday night with proposed laws to give the government extensive new powers to intervene in the workings of state and territory governments to effectively allow them to cancel agreements and business arrangements made by those governments with foreign governments if they're not judged to be in the national interest. So we're not sure what the breadth of the national interest test will be, I don't think. But this is a real shift in the operation of the Federation, isn't it? Why this and why now?
0: Well, technically, the Commonwealth has always had this power Um, since 1901, the external um, affairs power. Uh, This would be a flexing of that power. And what's it all about, Fran? Well, it's all about China. Uh, China, uh, we heard from the prime minister, wasn't necessarily the target, but we all know it it is. And it's Mm. about about the Belt and Road Initiative, Uh, an initiative which is more of a strategic operation than something that would necessarily deliver anything in concrete or asphalt here in Australia. And there's one particular agreement that the federal government has in mind, and that's the Belt and Road Initiative Agreement, or MOU, between the Victorian government and uh, and China. This is an agreement that was signed back in 2018 by Dan Andrews who's become um, somewhat of the bete-noir of uh, the Liberal Party, given the complaints that uh, uh, the Liberal MPs are whispering, uh, and we've heard more more heated criticism from the Prime Minister, albeit guarded criticism. There's a double hit here. It's firstly at, uh, at Dan Andrews for his dabbling with the Chinese government, Communist Party, and secondly, it's a bit of a, a swipe at uh, Dan Andrews for um, uh, for what's going on and, and what's going to keep back uh, economic recovery, and that is the handling of uh, hotel quarantine down in Victoria. So it's all it's all wrapped up in the kind of uh, geopolitics, but also ultra domestic politics.
2: Yeah. And just on that whole um, Belt and Road thing, because it was interesting that Labor lost no time pointing out that back in 2018, when that was announced by the state government, Simon Birmingham, the trade minister, came out and apparently endorsed it. Now, I'm I'm sure the Prime Minister has refuted that, but I've got the quote here from Simon Birmingham back in 2018, and he he welcomed the deal. He said, I haven't discussed the content of it with Victoria, but we have been and are positive for Australian engagement in Belt and Road initiatives where these projects are sustainable. If Victoria's has seen opportunities to do so consistent with those terms, that's something we welcome. So they welcomed it at the time. Mm. Does this create any problems for them, Andrew?
0: Well, there's, it's been a, a hot discussion point for some years. And, and the year before that, in 2017, the then Trade Minister signed an MOU with his Chinese counterpart. And that was also about the Belt and Road Initiative. Now, I asked the Prime Minister about that just literally a few minutes ago, and he said, well, this was in relation to third party agreements, in effect, where uh, another country's uh, in, got involved in a Belt and Road initiative, which is building maritime passages and ports and roads and whatever, uh, It's it was effectively, from what the Prime Minister seems to be indicating, an agreement whereby Australia might be able to get in on some of the action, that is, help that other third party, that third country, Build its infrastructure. This is all about trying to ensure that, um, uh, whether it's China or Australia, that we get uh, a slice of a slice of the money, slice of the action, and uh, and also ensure that that soft diplomacy, which comes with infrastructure builds in the region, is not all China's way, but also Australia's way.
1: We had. A very unusual address this week from the Deputy Head of Mission uh, from China to the National Press Club. He took questions and made some pretty extraordinary statements, really. Uh, It was really unusual that it happened at all, Andrew Proben, but also the way he kind of basically said that Australia had... Uh, not consulted, China, not being a very good strategic partner about this inquiry into COVID-19 and its origins and the way it handled that issue. It was there was a few veiled th- threats about the future of investment and the way Australia deals with this. So it just demonstrates, doesn't it, that the tensions, you know, they're not sort of the stuff of fiction. They're very real. And I thought he pretty much just said, yeah, it's it's happening, right.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of messages. That I think the sharpest message was about the fact that uh, China felt it had been insulted by uh, Australia asking for an inquiry into the origin of the coronavirus uh, outbreak, very and also very much pointing at China and Wuhan, which is where Australia still believes it uh, it originated. Uh, that, uh, but the other point about his speech was that I think you know, that perhaps uh australia and the western world has got china wrong we're not going to become more like you the more that we have involvement with the west we're going to be sticking with our chinese socialism thank you very much that was a very uh point a point loudly made by him albeit in a very uh, at times humorous and eloquent speech but it, there was that really really firm message that Capitalism has failed at at times of stresses like the pandemic, perhaps pointing fingers at the United States, even Victoria. But uh, he was championing um, the Chinese socialism's uh, approach, which has people back in gyms and bars.
2: And, probes, just a quick one. Uh, This investigation from 60 Minutes and the nine newspapers this week revealed some pretty substantial branch stacking allegations in the Victorian Liberal Party. Um, One senior party operative had already resigned over, over all of this, but one frontbencher in the federal cabinet, a federal government, Michael Sucker, is under pressure for his alleged role in this. Now, he says he hasn't done anything wrong, never, you know, never flouted the rules. Um, how serious is this for Michael Sucker? How serious it is in terms of just branch stacking? We've had these allegations now against Labor earlier, state Labor, and now state Liberal. Are they of the same order? And do you think Michael Sucker should step aside while this has been investigated?
0: I don't think they're in the of the same order as the uh, previous 60 minutes uh, allegations uh, which re- which had people on on camera um, and very much had Adam, Adam Somirek and other uh, Victorian ministers in the gun I think it's it's un- very untidy for Michael Sukar but he is going to push through this um, and hope that the the inquiry from the finance department clears him um, I, I think that's probably where it was going to land f- from the start. But uh, this untidiness could get worse if there are other revelations. But in the sh- from the show itself, I don't okay. think it 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 didn't nail uh, Michael Sukar as Labour might have hoped.
1: I agree with you that the allegations are not the same level as the Somer, and the evidence provided. I agree with that, right? And I also think that the fact that Labor made a very uh, deliberate and strategic decision to denounce it, to say that Suka should go, but actually not to really pursue this in question time, speaks volumes too. Or they would mm-hmm. have gone hard if they could feel like, you know, there was there was political blood that they could extract. But some of the the allegations in relation to, um, you know, hiring people exclusively to do this kind of recruitment work for this side, the, the right side of... of the party are pretty outrageous and do really go to dodgy really dodgy mm. right and there is now an investigation by finance into whether this happened but probes just tell our listeners like that it's unlikely to find anything because it doesn't have the teeth right i don't think that's the i personally don't think it's the right vehicle to to be doing this investigation
0: no, um, I I tend to agree. I don't think that they will necessarily find anything. But it it is uh, speaking as a taxpayer to think that some people are um, are allegedly being employed solely to branch stack. Well, that is completely outrageous. Now the question is, uh, when it comes to the parliamentarians, as to what role did they have in this? Because it looks like it was people around. Uh, around Michael Sukkar, who may or may not have been involved in that, but whether it was at his instruction or at his assent is 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 a bigger question. I, I, I suspect... Yeah, but is that, that is
2: that, does it need to be at his instruction, or if he knows about it, isn't that, isn't that bad enough? Because, uh, you know, a minister should step in and say, no, this shouldn't happen. It should be denounced long and loud by every senior politician, and I haven't heard that this week.
0: No, I haven't heard it either. And it is, it's, uh, as I said before, it's, it's, um, it makes your stomach churn, really, doesn't it? Um, Branch stacking, of course, is nothing new, but this is at, uh, at taxpayer cost. And at least that's the allegation. So it, it perhaps should go well. It should go further, but perhaps it won't.
1: Ah, it should, but perhaps, but it, perhaps won't. it won't. Isn't that sort of the uh, the best that's politics? Statement? Yeah, I was about to say that's like you could say that about any story. Hey, probes, thank you so much for allowing us, which you have, to pick your enormous brain. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, guys. Before we go, Question Time is back, and we're pretty excited about that. We've timed it very strategically to be the same week the Parliament's return, so they're doing Question Time, so are we. And you can even send us a recorded question. In fact, we've got one this week from Nathan.
0: Hi, Fran and PK. With everything that's happened over the COVID-19 pandemic in Australia, what has been most evident is that the levels of bureaucracy and the systems of government no longer work. Is it time that we start looking at
2: abolishing the state governments and working towards a stronger federal national government? Thanks. Well, thanks, Nathan. It's an interesting question because I think we've seen shifting opinion on this over the pandemic, PK. When National Cabinet was first formed, remember this notion of the Prime Minister sitting around every week or every second day it was during the pandemic initially with state and territory leaders is new. We don't have such a thing as a National Cabinet. It's a made up term for the states and federal government running this pandemic uh, as it goes along. And it worked really well in the beginning, I believe anyway. I think we got better decision making before it. I've said on the podcast, I think, that I think the Prime Minister's response initially was improved because of the input from some of the premiers, particularly Daniel Andrews, funnily enough, and Gladys Berejiklian. So I, I do think we got a really good, um, you know, operating decision-making process going on with everyone on the same page. And I thought that was a really positive reflection of the federation. But now what we're talking about, of course, is the federation writ large. It's almost like you know we're different colonies now with border closures. People can't get across borders. We're not we're not an open country anymore. More And that's a real fail. And that started this discussion that's going on out there, I think, in the world. I interviewed um, one Co- coalition MP, Darren Chester, this week. He's saying, you know, his constituents want an end to the federation. They don't want states. They want regional governments. They want, you know, these sorts of border bubbles that we've had, you know, eradicated by regional governments. So people are starting to talk now about whether it works or not. What about you, PK? Are you a fan of federation? Uh, Look, I think federation
1: is really problematic and we've seen – all of the the problems it creates. Look at the aged care, you know, debacle and the fight yeah. over the way that's been managed. That's yeah, who's you, in charge of yeah. it. Yeah, the fact that we've had that fight is because of federation, right? So, um, the way that the, the you know that the blame game that remember that language Kevin Rudd used to use it all the time. The blame game mm-hmm. is at the centre of a of a. <laughs> Broken is too strong, I'm going too hard, but a, you know, a troubled federation, mm-hmm. a federation that needs a fractured. little help. Yeah, fractured, that's the word. Needs a ten- And fractious. Yeah. So you need, I do think you need reform, and it's a word that's also contentious but positive reform, change where accountability lines are more clearly defined. And that's what I'd like to see. Do I have all the solutions? Absolutely not. On your question, there's a line there, um, start working towards a stronger federal National government. Well, the problem is the federal government isn't always very good at service delivery. So I'm not sure that that's entirely the solution. For me, it's about accountability and lines of accountability that need to be really um cleared up. But whether you just centralise more, I don't think centralisation is the solution. Actually, I don't think yeah, centralisation is just that's a good point. The answer to everything.
2: Yeah, that's a good point because, you know, it's the states on the ground. The closer to the people you are with your service delivery, the better it usually is. But, you know, there is this phrase cooperative federalism. We have seen that on display. It's not too cooperative at the moment, Nathan, fair point. Um, So I think there is a discussion to be had uh, and lessons to be learned from this. And we'll perhaps talk about that more in the party room in the future. Nathan, thank you. Thanks, Nathan. And, of course, you can send more of your questions to us. We always
1: look forward to them, actually. And now that we're back on that road, the party room at abc.net.au is how you get them to us. We will be back next week. It's another parliamentary sitting week, so we're going to have quite a bit to talk about, Fran. Sure will. See you, PK. See you, Fran. Everyone was looking for Nicola Gobbo,
2: the woman who became known as Lawyer X. The woman at the centre of
0: Victoria's biggest legal scandal.
1: Since going into hiding, the only interview she's done is with the ABC. And now we can tell her full story. People were going to be murdered. She was working both sides of the fence. I will make a point of holding those who did this to account. The Informer, a gripping
0: new season of the hit podcast Trace. Hear it on the ABC Listen app.